Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. We're going on a journey through the symbolic imagery of each of the 78 tarot cards. If you use a Rider-Waite-Smith deck, or a Thoth deck, or Mel's own Tabula Mundi deck, you've come to the right place. We love making this podcast, and we hope you love listening to it. But you should also know that Fortune's Wheelhouse is more than the sound of our voices. We have a home on the web at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. Come and visit us there so you can experience the other part of this conversation, where we provide hundreds of written articles and explanations for even the most obscure concepts you'll hear on the show. If you sign up to be our patron at even the $1 level, you'll instantly gain access to all that information, which can be found nowhere else. And if you become a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get a chance to win our giveaways, like Scott, who won last week's drawing. Congratulations, Scott. This week, we're talking about the Five of Swords, the Lord of Defeat, which is associated with the first decan of Aquarius. Because this card is a five, that means it's associated with the Sephira Geburah on the Tree of Life. And that is associated with Mars. And Mars is associated with the color red. Phew, you think we got enough pins and red string going on here? All right, anyway... All that is why we're offering this week's winner a zip pouch in -in glow-in-the-dark constellation fabric, that's for Aquarius, with a bright red zipper for Mars. The Five of Swords may be the Lord of Defeat, but you will be able to defeat the demons of scattered and disorganized stuff every time you pull that shiny red zipper tab. If you're on Facebook, you can also connect with other listeners at Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy. That's the officially unofficial Fortune's Wheelhouse group, where even now over 250 listeners are sharing their love of esoteric tarot and even planning a Fortune's Wheelhouse meetup for this fall. You could be one of them. Finally, if you have a moment and you haven't done it yet, please consider leaving us a review or rating on iTunes. It's free. It's easy to do, and it really does help spread the word. Thanks for doing that and helping us out. And now, here's this week's episode. I don't care what happens to this world Long as it hurts Long as it's made to cry Long as it hurts Okay, Today, we are starting in on the three Aquarius cards, the five, six, and seven of swords. Uh, we begin with the five of swords, known as the Lord of Defeat. <laughs> the five, six, and seven of swords are really interesting cards, you know, I think as we kind of get into grappling with the conflicts and difficulties of swords, they become interestingly complex. Yeah, especially, I mean, always in the five, six, seven equation, you have these two unbalanced ones on either side of the six, but it seems really noticeable in swords. It really does. The the contrast between being in balance and being out of balance. Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting to think also about the fact that you have a card of defeat 
you have a card of victory in the six of wands, and then you have this card of defeat. We can contrast those a little bit in the sense that this one's kind of has a Saturnine component and the six of wands has a Jupiterian component. But Saturnine in the sense of, of Aquarius. Aquarius. Yeah. 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 So it's defeat in both systems, right? Yep. Yep. It's pretty straightforward. And before we get into it, I was saying before we started on the air that we could maybe start talking a little bit about the broader context of the sword suit in relationship to elemental air and the fool. We talked a little bit last time about the fool's journey as, you know, if you think about um, Libra, Aquarius, and Gemini as sort of a, a big overview story like we did with the hangman and his three water signs, you can kind of think of it as like Libra is that crossroads moment where you have to balance things out. And then Aquarius is like the compass or the navigation. The far view. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the perspective. And then with Gemini, you get to the choice. Yeah. So these are questions of finding your way of using your intellectual capacities to forge For reason a path. or lack thereof. <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> so it seems especially apt that it's the fool's journey because, yep. you know, it's all about if I only had a brain. <laughs> right. In the two, three, and four of swords, we talked about how we had kind of like uh, stories of being at the crossroads, the, the impasse in the two of swords and the crisis in the three of swords, and then whatever compromise you come out with in the four of swords then maybe the Aquarius story, I was trying to think about this, if it's about navigation, these Aquarius cards, maybe the Five of Swords is about like the the risk or the scarcity that causes you to leave your familiar surroundings. And then the Six of Swords is literally like the navigation itself, the right. tools you use, clear, the compass. The clear sight of, you know, charting your way and being right on the path. Yeah, yeah. And the wit you must use and the shrewdness and to use the tools to keep you on the path. And then, and there's something in the seven of swords, I think about the skills that you need when things go wrong, you know, right. the resourcefulness that you need. Yeah, yeah. The cunning, you know, if you, you can even imagine yourself when you go on a journey, all the packing you have to do, all of the disasters you have to anticipate, all of the things you have to fix when something goes wrong and the plane is delayed. And, you know, in a mundane sense, I think there's a story about that in these cards. We're talking about zero to nine degrees of Aquarius. Yeah. Yep. Six. You've got moon in the, in the second. I've got moon in the second. And I've got it in the third. Right. So and well, and, I do have my rising here. Oh, you have your rising here? Sadly, I do. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, um, I have the yeah. moon in the first house, but in the second. Okay, decan. moon. Okay, right. Moon in the second deck, and so moon's about to rise in the first house. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then, and then your rising is right. So that's probably significant in some way as well. Let's see. So it's Venus in the rulership of the first decan of Aquarius, in the sign of Saturn, Lester Benefic, in the sign of the greater Malefic. <laughs> so some of the other Venus cards, it might be interesting to think of, uh, Venus in Aries, completion, uh, Venus in Cancer, love, Venus in Virgo, gain, and Venus in Scorpio, debauch. So 
we see that in this one, in the sign of Aquarius, she does rather poorly as well as in the sign of Scorpio. So in the signs of the greater malefic. is, I think, maybe just a little too detached for the planet of uh, Venus and her role of desire and desiring. It's, it's, Right, right. There's an immediacy about Venus matters that yeah. you know you need to be able to touch it right. and feel it and, uh, and make Aquarius a connection. Kind of off in space somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I so can true. say that because I have plenty of Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Aquarius is very important to us. So if you think about that, defeat, completion, love, gain, debauch, you see her doing best in. In love and gain, love and gain, material really. matters and and heart matters. Yeah, and, and Aquarian is kind of more of a mental sign. So there's some nuance to the way that she interacts with the rulers of those signs. Here's a way to think of it: like Venus in Aries and Venus in Scorpio, uh, in in the Four of Wands and the Seven of Cups. So it's like she's in Mars's house, but they're in different rooms in the house, and she likes. One yeah. room better than the other. <laughs> well, here we have her in the house of Saturn. Yeah. But also mm-hmm. in Gavora. Oh, yeah. Which but in Gavora too. Mars, yeah. You know, the sphere of Mars. That's true. That's true. Yeah. One of, one of the things that you often hear with this card is that the peaceful influences of Venus are not strong enough to overcome the circumstances or the, the bad neighborhood that right. she's in. That truth that we saw in the four of swords, that truce was broken and it was an arm truce and it wasn't going to last. And right. like the power, which your power just wasn't strong enough to maintain it. And you kind of, it all yeah. went to shit. <laughs> <laughs> or it's sort of like, you know, the middle child trying to make peace at Thanksgiving dinner. Right. <laughs> it's Good just not going to happen. <laughs> January 20th to 29th. My son's born during this period. And he he is a, a very idealistic person who often seems to find himself in a fight. <laughs> and the majors that we associate with this are the Empress and the Star. And if you just took the Empress and the Star, you would expect to get a really beautiful... beautiful. (laughs) But then you're putting them in, you know... Then it's the the issue of the five. uh, Yeah. They're not too happy there. (laughs) Right. You know, you would expect with the Empress and the Star to get, you know, something like the Elf Queen Galadriel. (laughs) It's almost like the gifts of those two cards are also not particularly compatible because the empress mm. she is in charge of down to earth the things of earth right. you know and to making things thrive and grow here which you can't do out in space you know right. and the stars as beautiful as they are are so distant from us you know if you even like think about the way they're depicted in tarot generally the empress is always clothed and you know and she's right. got opulent things and beautiful surrounded by beautiful things and the star is always naked yeah so they're they're very different sorts of people one feels very warm and one feels very cool yeah 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 yeah, the um, cool and remote, the cool and remote beauty of the star versus the warm and luxurious abundance of the empress. Right, 
Right. And it's very hard to reconcile those two. Especially not in the house of fear. Not in the house of fear, that's for sure. The thing, interesting thing about the star card, well, just Aquarius in general, I think, is that we associate Uranus as well, some in the modern system with this. And astrologers also seem to have this prominently in their charts a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like there's a attraction to the theory of things and uh, the math of things, you know, yep. the uh, the formulas that make things tick rather. Like the larger patterns. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you think about it, there's something about the five of swords in general. You know, why do people go to war, right? They usually go to war for an idea. And what we see in the five of swords is sort of like the way that when you try to make that idea flesh to, to fight for it on earth, that can really lead to winners and losers, you know, and that it hurts and people get upset. Uh, a lot of the time when you try to take a, an abstract idea and <laughs> fit it onto people's lives, it, people don't like that. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that tension is something that we really see in this card, you know, the attempt to force ideals and yeah. uh, how that doesn't really work. Yeah, definitely. Associated courts kind of interesting is air of air, because uh, we're right in the middle of um, the Aquarius sign. So it's the prince or knight of swords. And if you've ever known one of those, <laughs> right. they can be very combative. It's the sort of very verbal thing. Intelligent. Very, in, super smart. Yeah. Especially, I think Aquarius really is, you know, crowns the mind in yeah. some way. Yeah. Most of the ones I've yeah. known are really smart. Really smart. And sometimes they don't know when to stop talking, you know, or arguing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true of all the air signs. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even call it arguing. I'd call mm -hmm. it debating. <laughs> right. And plus, they often think they're debating when you feel like they're arguing. <laughs> but we're having a really nice right. conversation. <laughs> I mean, uh, Libra tends to always argue the other point, like mm -hmm. we talked about in the, the Libra cards. And, and Aquarius definitely wants to see the, the bigger picture and, and discuss it and break it down. And mm -hmm. whereas Gemini just starts all over the place right. and is, is on everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mentally right. speaking. I would say of the three that Aquarius is probably the most stubborn. The fixity, oh, definitely. You know? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's like, I have an opinion and I'm just going to keep going explaining my opinion to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Because <laughs> it's a great opinion. <laughs> Actually, the, uh, the, the, the two word phrase for Aquarius is, I know. I know. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> yeah. So. Here we have the, you know, the power of the Sphinx, Shire, and we literally have the card of science right in the middle of the sign. Yeah. So that to makes know. sense. So we started talking a little bit about Gevora, but I think Gevora is so key to understanding this card that we should get into it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So Gevora, of course, is the fifth Sephira. Um, we've come from Chesed, the, the fourth Sephira, where, which is associated with Jupiter, where there's a greatness of mind and a greatness of spirit that allows you to compromise to Mars, the, the Sephira of Mars, where it's... The name of it is uh, strength, actually. Strength. Right. So yeah. it's, there's a lot about uh, power and, uh, and force, yes. Yeah. And there are 
two other names for it, Din and Pachad, at least one of which means fear. Yeah. And so there's, there's definitely a brutality or rigidity, or I guess the correct term is severity, right? Right. Um, in this Sephira that we see, you know, interacting with what should be a very peaceable influence either from Venus or from Aquarius. But I think in general, even if you're just a little bit familiar with tarot, if you look at the five cards, you instantly see what happens in uh, from the influence of the five. Right. It's um, it's easy to think that you know it's it's all negative, but I think the fives in general they don't cause the problem; they just announce that a problem exists mm-hmm. and that something needs to be done about it. Needs it. to be dealt with. Yeah, I think Kavora in general, it's. It's called the corrective action. And here we are in the suit of swords. We've given the warrior his sword, so you would expect there to be a lot of action. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, um, the symbols for the Sephira are the pentagon, the spear, the scourge, the sword, <laughs> and the chain. I read that the, the scourge was the fast corrective action. The whip. Yeah, yeah that mm-hmm. just happens. Whereas the chain is the thing that like binds you and grinds on and on as the uh, long enduring change. Right, right. And iron, of course, is associated with, with Mars. Mars. Yeah. Right. Both its strength yep. and its endurance. The destroyer, the warrior king. I think some gods besides Mars that you might think of here, you know, Ares, of course, the Greek version of the Roman Mars. And I think Thor, I read, was one, which seems kind of Jupiterian in Hmm. a way. But I did hear that Thor was um, associated with this sphere in a, you know, the the warrior who's like the the hard drinking, you know, copulating, big lusty (laughs) fellow, you know. Doesn't it seem like all the Norse gods have something to do with war, though? Yeah, it it's is. like their knowledge gods are war gods. Their war right. gods are war gods. Their love, their love gods, gods are, are war gods. gods. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting that you have to go through this phase of correction in order to achieve the balance of the six. The pentagram as a symbol of the suit makes me think of banishing too. That mm-hmm. action of removing what's not necessary. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that if you think of the tree as a whole, if you think of the part of the tree that is associated with restricting and pruning and getting rid of stuff, this is where it is. And yeah. what if you didn't have that? You right. Know? <laughs> yeah, that you wouldn't know, you be have good. To, you have to have some way of controlling and making the circumstances of your life usable, uh, which we'll get to in the six. Like what um in Wang's book... In relation to this Sephira, he had a hermetic axiom that he quoted, and it was, watch the watcher, examine the examiner, and judge the judge. And I thought that that was really um, interesting in terms of the types of corrective action that are, often are necessary. Right. I was kind of thinking of the Hebrew letter associations of the majors a little bit. And this is complicated because we have either He or Tzadi for the star. If you think of it as the empress as Dalit, the door, and the star as Tzadi, the fish hook, it's, you know, with this card, you sort of have this thing of like someone- Exit stage right. Yeah, exit 
backstage, right? <laughs> Yoink! Right, you know, right. right. Bring out the hook. The sack sucks. <laughs> and then, if you think of you know, Dalith as the door, and and Hay as the window for the star, you know, there's a real difference between what you do with the window and what you do with a door, mm. right? And if you're using a window as a door, then something's very wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Either you're breaking in or you're locked out. <laughs> or you're falling out. Exactly. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting to think about. <laughs> it's just interesting to keep in mind that whenever you see a five of swords, there's going to be that harshness, harsh quality to it, even if the author or illustrator wasn't familiar with the tree of life, you know, or the ordeals and rigors of Gibura, that's still going to come through. Like the sword itself, there's something about it that requires, you know, an assessment of what's here, an analysis of what's here in order to prune away the weaknesses. You mentioned Pachad, fear, mm -hmm. and I was reading about that and it said, you know, Gibura isn't evil. But mm -hmm. fear can be considered evil. You know what I mean, in a sense? Yeah. And that it's not really fear that they're talking about here. It's more of Pachada's being awe of the awesome power of God, you know, yeah. to, to smite or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is the big stick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we all have that resistance to change that yeah. manifests as fear. Yeah, I wonder if it isn't a sort of form of respect, you know, respecting yeah, authority. Right. One thing that I read that was really interesting, too, is there are five parts to the Ruach, the the yeah. the, the mind or the reason. Mm -hmm. And each one of those five parts is associated with one of the uh, Sephira under the abyss but not including Yisod and Malkut. So from uh, Hesed to Hod. Mm. And the five parts are reason with Hod, desire with Netzach, imagination with Tifereth, will with Gabora, and memory with Hesed. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So especially in terms of this, the, the fives, they're associated with will. Yeah. The, you know, so I thought that was kind of a really interesting thing. Yes. And the fact that it's will in Yetzira, as in Sefer Yetzira, this is the plane of formation, the suit of swords. So this is where the ideas get hashed out for things. And this is where we go in magic when we try to change things. So it's sort of like working with the rules and trying to impose your will on the rules. It's almost like the legislative process. This is how we are going to decide how we're going to live. And it can be ugly and full of conflict and, you know, and debate because not everyone sees it the same way. But there's something very foundational about the whole process of choice you know, of how you get to choosing what you choose in the suit of swords. So I, I was saying to Randy this morning that you, I almost think of the journey of the swords as the journey of free will, of the application right. of this gift that you have that right. is unique, that you were given, you know, in the origin story of Eden, right. the ability to choose and what a curse and what a blessing that is. 
yeah, in terms of those five parts too, will will being here, it made me think of okay, when well another god associated with Geborah would be Horus in his active form, you know, Rahor Kuit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you think about it in terms of these three cards that we're doing, the Aquarius cards, so you have will, imagination, and then desire, the five, the six, and the seven. And I thought it actually applies to the, that this sequence, you know, there's, there is something about will in this card, imagination in the, the six of swords and desire in the seven. Yeah. That's true. I think just inherently that's going to be true with five, six, and seven. And, but especially, but especially here because in this. it's about the five parts of the, the, of reason of the mind of the Ruach. So right. And we're in the swords suit. Right. I can see correlations with will, imagination, desire with the planetary correspondences with, you know, Mars, yep. Sun, Venus. Yep. But also with the idea that the, the will sort of provides the engine for, the imagination, you know, it's sort of the five precedes the sixth in that way. And then the imagination allows you to desire, you know, there's always a, a feeling of seeking in the sevens, you know, looking out for number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and the imagination makes that possible. We can mention the virtue and vice. Oh, yeah, I wanted um, to ask you if you had Yeah, the, the virtue is, we've probably talked about this before, last time we did a five, but it's interesting to think about it in terms of this card. The virtue is energy and courage, and the vice is cruelty and destruction. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I remember when we talked about it in the five of wands and five of cups that you can see that. You know, yeah, um, and especially in terms of this card, the way the way around it, the way out of it, the way through it is to apply that virtue of energy and courage to the problem. Yeah, that you, mental and uh, you know moral kind of strength. Mm-hmm. That's the way out of this card when when it comes up, <laughs> and it's not going to be pretty. The destructiveness you can see in you know broken cups and dropped swords. Right. Yeah. And the the vision, there's a vision associated with each one. The vision is the vision of power. Yes. Again, that's, you know. Yeah, power. And, you know, in this card, I think we see power over others. But ultimately, it's also the power of self-determination. Yeah. 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 Of standing up to others, even if you might prefer to avoid that process. Right. So the the Deccan imagery is pretty apt, I think. From the Picatrix, you have a man whose head is mutilated and he holds a peacock in his hand. The peacock is a Venus Venus. That's a Venus thing, thing, right? Yep. And the mutilation of the head is interesting because... that makes me think of Mars because Aries rules the head. Yeah. Mutilation, well, yeah, that's kind of a martial thing. Yeah, but there's also... I haven't had a chance to really think about this, but in magic, there's a fascination with headlessness, mm-hmm. right? Headless, yeah, right, right? Bornless, yep. right? Yep. And the idea, I guess, it has to do with killing the ego, mm-hmm. right? So there might be something about that in here, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. I don't know. It's just curious to think about. His head is mutilated. So he hasn't quite He's trying. his head. He's, he's tried and not really succeeded. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, maybe in a sense, the aim of the suit ultimately is the death of the ego in the Ten of Swords. But getting there is going to be quite painful. Um, it's only a flesh wound. 
<laughs> Tis but a scratch. <laughs> the significations from the Picatrix are misery, poverty, and slavery. So that's cheerful. Um, <laughs> Agrippa has the thought and labor for gain in poverty and baseness. Yeah. That's interesting, right? That, that is interesting. Yeah. So it's like because your circumstances are so desperate, that dream of bettering your circumstances yeah. is driving you. And there'll be some success, but it sounds like it's not easy. It's yeah. not handed to you. Like if you if you think about growing up in a really terrible neighborhood with zero resources and your best employment opportunity is being in a gang or selling drugs kind of a thing. It's like that. And or maybe being like a, a craftsperson or a... A builder, but not having good materials to start yeah. with. You still make, you can still build your house, but what you're working with to start with isn't that great. Right. And that seems to be indicated in the Deccan image from Agrippa, a prudent man and a woman spinning or something like that. So people who are working hard. With what they have. With what they have. Right. I was thinking that it's also kind of interesting to think about what Crowley said about fives. Um, the idea of motion coming to aid the idea of matter. Yeah. So fives are like what you need to do to break out of your structure. Yeah. To um, better your situation or to change it. Overcome inertia. Right. Cardomantic meanings. <laughs> I saw a really funny one yesterday. I was sort of Googling around. And one cardomantic meaning for the five of spades is bad temper in the inquirer. <laughs> You know, sometimes when we do these, the research on these, there's some inconsistencies, especially with the historical stuff, but it was pretty much across the board here. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's very unpleasant no matter what. The, um, the meanings in that Atea had all have to do with loss, um, alteration, shrinkage, degradation. I just changed my source for Atea because I think the one I was using was, was a derivation, not him himself. Mm -hmm. So now I'm using the uh, Atea meanings from Paul Husson's book, which is great, everybody. Uh, it's called Mystical Origins no, of I the Tarot. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you have I should it. pull that one yeah. out and look at it once it's in a while. It's great. I, I forgot I had it even. <laughs> it's really terrific. What That's the problem with having as many books as I have <laughs> is I forget that I even... I'm like, oh yeah, I have that. Jeez, I haven't looked at it in a while. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's good because it has all the cardomantic stuff in it. He goes with every card through Atea and Mathers and the Golden Dawn and Wait, nice. so Crowley too. So, you know, it's all kind of in there. So you have kind of loss in the upright position because these historical meanings all really do um, use reversals uh, as changes in meaning. But the opposite meaning is just as bad. <laughs> so it's like, so he uses the word "day," which means mourning or grief, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so you can, you can have loss or you can have grief. <laughs> If you look at the list of things that are associated with this card, it's it's just such a bummer. You know, there's yeah, like nothing good in there. Yeah, it's basically a thesaurus of bad things. <laughs> yeah, there's not a single good thing there, is there? It's probably one of the more negative cards of the entire deck. There's it really not is. a lot good going on there unless... I suppose you could look at it as not a terrible thing to want to avoid conflict, you know? We always like to think as tarot readers, idealistically, that there are no bad cards and no good cards. But Oh, there's a few bad ones. 
And that's like saying, I think we've talked about this in the past. I forget which episode, but we were talking about how there is no pain, only sensation. <laughs> of course, there's friggin' pain, you know? Right, right. You can look at it differently and you can look for the good in it. You can look for the learning experience. You can recognize with this card that the way you're feeling is not necessarily founded in reality, but just a distorted perspective. And there's some comfort in recognizing that. And it needs that. to be there. I mean, yeah. there needs to be a card that gives you this message. With right. all the negative cards, though, I think like people have asked me, oh, you know, my Deccan is the card of failure. Is it, you know, does that mean I'm, I just suck <laughs> right. forever? And it's like, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's sort of like those are lessons that you are going to grapple with. Yeah. And, you know, for example, with this card, you know, I'm often dealing with resentment. It's so unfair. Some Somebody's like taking advantage of me or I'm doing more work than everybody else kind of a thing. But even as unpleasant that is for me and everyone around me, it's still important to go through. It's still important to recognize, first of all, that the things that you do have worth and fairness is also valuable. So these are two lessons that are inherent. The fairness and the value are inherent in the card. But those are good values in themselves. And they're, and they're worth fighting for as well. I mean, if you think about like, you know, the French Revolution, for example, was founded on people being resentful of the rich. And, you know, most nationalist movements are founded on people being resented of other people having what they think they should have. And that's, that's a symptom of a broader problem that does need to be addressed. However, the revolutions that come from it are often terrible. Okay. All right. So, um, and the only other thing I wanted to, that's sort of historical that I wanted to bring in was something Crowley said about the arc of history, epicene cults he talks about. Yeah. You know, the idea that yeah. the softness of hedonism in like, the fall Which, of Rome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that would be a, you know, a Venusian thing that these sort of cults of pleasure or of, um, non-warlike qualities sprang up, but they were a sign of degradation. Yeah, I don't agree with everything he says about that, but it's still kind of, uh, a way of looking at this card. Okay. Shall we look at, uh, card by card? Yeah. So we have with the uh, Rider-Waite-Smith, Five of Swords, we've got some of the most turbulent weather in the deck, as well as you can see the same sort of ragged clouds in the Knight of Swords mm -hmm. in Rider-Waite-Smith. So things are changing. This is, again, motion coming to the aid of matter. There is some disagreement. I mean, most people read this card as someone winning and two people losing. It does have that look to it. It does have that look to it. There's a smugness about that guy's face. Oh, I hate face. that guy's face, <laughs> He's man. a smarmy I asshole. Go, what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> you just want to slap I him. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but what was curious about this, I looked this up in uh, Marcus Katz and Tolly Goodwin's Secrets of the Wade Smith Tarot, and they draw a parallel in this card between the three figures on it and a book that Pamela Coleman Smith wrote called A Book of Friendly Giants. These are not the giants, but three pirates who are characters in the book. And the three pirates are named Fear and Fly, Dare and Do, 
and catch and kill. <laughs> so, which are very evocative names. Yeah. And the one in front, Cats and Goodwin, supposed to be fear and fly. Darren Do is the one in the background who is sort of grieving, who has been too reckless. So they're all on the same team. Fear and Fly is the one who is picking up the pieces, you know, thinking ahead to the next step. And Catch and Kill is the one in the middle who is trying to mediate between them. Later on, these pirates um, end up becoming the giant's servants. It's the consequences of their actions. But, and it's uh, a stage card. And it's a stage card. Yeah. Yeah. So there's definitely something in here. Now, how, how the three of them could wield five swords is what I want to know. Right. What's up right. With that? What's up with that? Or it looks like you know it's after the battle, and mm. um, and some of the em- enemy must have fled or died. Right. Wait talks about the disdainful man in the foreground. He says he is the master in possession of the field. He's a bully. You know, he's the person who wins and isn't nice about it. Yeah. You know, not yeah. a gracious winner, but a person who gloats. And uh, lords it over others. I hadn't really, I've never thought about this before, but look at the river or the sea in the background, whatever it is. And the person who is most upset is the one who is closest to the sea. Mm. So it's almost like if you think of the sea as the unconscious, as the place where our true emotions lie, then you have one person who recognizes the direness of the situation and is Mm. in mourning about it and the person who is farthest away from it is you know divorced from that true knowledge of what's going on in that direction and he's he's not that's right he's Mm. it's almost like he's he's fooling himself it also makes me think of bina which gavora and bina are connected oh yeah uh, just the fact that the the sea is there and that these 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 characters are torn turn towards it while he is not right right and if you think about the path from bina to givora that's the chariot so that's a warrior figure as well right you know so there are themes of battle no matter what Mm -hmm. over here and the figure in the foreground the his clothing i noticed is red and green for the most part Mm -hmm. which makes me think mars and venus Mm -hmm. you know we've got venus of this card and mars as the five yeah 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 if you think about like i really like what you said about bina and gavora because if you think about the three of swords you know there you have the sorrow there you have the grieving, the grieving guys of that guy to that yeah mm-hmm. and the five is just obsessed with winning yeah <laughs> you yeah. know rather than seeing the consequences of what has happened oh that's really interesting you know, he just wants more swords, which is <laughs> very martial. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some uh, greed there. Yeah. He wants more swords than he can handle. Right. Yeah. And this is another thing where uh, Waite says that, so he talks about degradation, destruction as meanings, infamy uh, for this card, but reversed the same. <laughs> <laughs> Burial and obsequies right. as well. So. I don't know of any other card where the, where weight thinks of the upright and reverse meanings as the same. Hmm. And the fact that his hair is kind of blowing in the wind, I mean, yeah, it's an air card, but it's like it's the winds of change, you know, that mm-hmm. the motion of the five, the, the change that has to happen. Yeah, if you contrast that with the warrior in the four of swords who's 
you know, in a house lying down made of stone. <laughs> right. Very, very still. Yeah. You know, there's the stillness and then the motion. Right. You can really see going from stasis to mobility in the four to five of swords like that. Okay. So, um, Thoth card. Wow. This one's. Yeah. <laughs> it's intense. And it's worth pulling up your star and empress cards just to see the color. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a definite combination of, of colors there. Yeah, you can see the greens of the empress at the top and the purples of the star being, Yeah, below. being dulled down by the dark blues and purples of the star. Yeah. Actually, from Lon Milo Duquette's book, that's where I think I read that the card was painted at the height of the struggle. Yes. Um, with the war. Nazi Germany. Yeah. And he also says something. I, I love his essay on the Five of Swords. He says, a terrible fight has broken out in a very rough and well-armed area of Kabbalaville. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Which is exactly it. I often think, because of that quote of his, I often think of this card as the rough neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. And you can really see how not only is it well-armed, but everybody's against everybody. You can see how the five swords are bending and the distortion and twisting as they try to defeat each other. Yeah, and I think, didn't he say, or somewhere I read that including the swastika shapes may have been a magical act to defeat Nazi Germany really? by placing them in this card, in the card of defeat. Yes, the pinwheels look a lot more like swastikas in here yeah. than they do in other in, cards. Yeah, exactly. That's really interesting. Yeah. And curious, especially when one of the things that people are so uncomfortable about Crowley with is his perceived anti-Semitism, too. So he was a really complicated guy. He uh, yeah. definitely made himself unpopular with lots of people. <laughs> it's important that none of the hilts of the sword uh, resemble each other. They're all different. If you look really close at look at them, they are uh, in the shapes. So you'll see the two uppermost ones. The one on the left is a fish. The one on the right looks like a flame, so fire and water. And then the other ones, the one on the, the ones below that, oh. there's a, a green serpent, which I guess would be earth. And then the other one is, I don't know, it looks like a kind of like a, a comma or mm -hmm. a number nine or a number six or yeah, a it's just cloudy a, a swirl. And I guess that one's supposed to be air. Yeah. Um, which I could, I guess I could see that. Yeah. So, cause mm -hmm. if it's a six, that would be the princes, which would be, you know, the, the heir of the Yod He Vau He sequence. The four swords are all elementally designed. And mm -hmm. then the one below has a crown on it, but mm. the crown is upside down. So again, yeah. that's, you know, matter above spirit. I think the crown is, is not not right it's not in the ascendancy it's not yeah. people aren't thinking at their best because it's the uh averse pentagram right and whereas the other swords are bent this one is actually broken it's got yeah, you know it's straight but it has a chunk taken out of <laughs> yes. it like it's gotten attacked hey like it's, it's like the mutilated know. head right right yeah exactly oh that's interesting yeah because that yeah. has the crown on it right yep you see the rose petals. Um, oh, is that what they are? Yeah, I thought they the, were like anato seeds. <laughs> no, they're the um, they're the petals of the rose. So mm -hmm. you know, in the Golden Dawn descriptions, it says the rose is torn asunder and falling. 
he's just placed the petals there, you know, wow. scattered in that averse pentagram shape. And I was thinking about that because the rose is such a Venusian symbol. It sure is. obviously. And, you know, here we are, Venus being unhappy in Mars. It's all torn apart. So, so mm-hmm. Venus being that, you know, energy of love and growth, that energy has been dispersed and like torn apart by yeah. it's just not compatible with the energies of Mars. Right, right. Similar to what we see what happens to the rose in the uh, Three of Swords. I just counted the petals and I wonder if there's any... Okay, so there's five lines. Three of them have nine in each and two of them have 11. So it's 22 plus 27, hmm. which is 49. Ah, oh, 49 again. 49's yeah. just an amazing number, right? Yeah. 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 So that's a number of the goddess. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also saw it in the yeah. Four of Swords in the 49-petaled yeah, rose. Yeah, it's going to be a um, Venus connection. Yeah, so, and I think it's also specifically saying, okay, it's that rose from the Four that's being blown to pieces. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Like the, like the truce didn't the hold. The truce didn't hold, yeah. Yeah. They weakened their result. They thought they had a truce. They let down their guard. And yep. look what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's something, that's a real message of this card for me is to be careful of letting down your guard. Mm -hmm. The purple of the star is on top, the airy part, and the green of the empress is below the earthy part. So it's kind of what happens when you let your ideas win out, when when you allow your convictions to, to win out over your connections with people. Oh, that's interesting, because I think that in 36 Faces, mm-hmm. Austin Kopic calls this the mark of the exile. He does. And that's really interesting in terms of losing your connections with people. Because, you know, Aquarius, like I said, is a very detached sign. They kind of are standoffish in a way. Yeah. And remove themselves through their own desire for freedom and their eccentricity. But that place of isolation can be dangerous. Right. You know, to disconnect yourself from others. And yeah. can be vul- it can be vulnerable because then you're you got no backup. Right. And I think it's like one of the curses of Aquarius is that we, you know, I say we because we both have moon in Aquarius. Yeah. We love humanity, but we're not so big on humans. <laughs> yeah. I think I saw that on a bumper sticker once it said it said I love humanity, it's people who suck or something like that. <laughs> and right. That's very Aquarian sentiment, I think. <laughs> Right. That rebellious nature can, you can kind of, and I, I speak because I have a lot of Aquarius and mm-hmm. strong Uranus in my chart. That mm-hmm. rebellious nature, you can sometimes spite yourself. Right. Cut off your own nose to spite your face through your own stubbornness. Right. You know, and I do that a lot. You know, you can be an outcast by choice and then you can go, well, why am I left out? Right. You know? Right. That is the, <laughs> you know, the exile thing. It's yeah. sort of like you mark yourself for exile and then you live with the consequences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He talks, this is where he talks about the epicene cults and how they replace the sterner rights of the true solar phallic gods. <laughs> I just have to laugh when I see that. I mean, come on. This, uh, this sentence I can't get at all. He will delight to draw close parallels with the cognate phenomena displayed before the present generation. Oh, uh, so, okay. No, he's, he's saying, I see a parallel between what yeah. happened in the fall of Rome and, and the and, World and War II. Right. Yeah. 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 
Right. Sometimes. Why couldn't you just say that? Right. I mean, come on, man. You afraid of not sounding smart? <laughs> One thing I read that might be interesting is, I where did I read this? Mm. I wish I could remember now. That the swords cards in um, the Golden Dawn mm-hmm. depictions, it may not necessarily apply to the Thoth deck, or it might, but in the, in the Golden Dawn descriptions, mm-hmm. that when the swords are crossed, it's a positive manifestation. When they're not touching, it's more negative. And when they're like all touching in the middle, mm-hmm. like like this one, that it can go either way. Mm, I thought that was kind, really of, kind interesting. of interesting. Yeah. You know, for what it's worth. Huh. Not that the thought deck follows those descriptions of crossed or this or that. Yeah. But it's yeah. interesting to consider when you read those Golden Dawn descriptions, if it says they cross, they, they're parallel or they're, yeah. you know, just to take that into consideration. Yeah. Do you want to read the Liberty? That's a yeah, good lead let's, into let's your, see what it says. your card. Let's see what it says. Mm-hmm. Not or that Libra my card theta. follows it either. Yeah. Um, not, but I'm sure not, it informs so much, it at some but, level. Um, let's just see what it says. Two pairs of swords extending from the lower corners of opposite sides of the figure, nearly upright, but falling apart of each other right and left of the card. A fifth sword stands upright in the center as though it had disunited them. The petals of the rose, which in the four of swords had been reinstated in the center, are torn asunder and falling. Above and below are the symbols, Venus and Aquarius, for the decanate. So he hmm. did follow it yeah, pretty did, closely actually. there, actually. Yeah. 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 Just to follow up on what you were saying before earlier on averse pentagrams of being matter over spirit, just, you know, for our listeners, it's interesting to look for those throughout the deck. I'm just surprised, mm. though, that if that's true, and we could go through all the swords cards at some point and see, mm-hmm. you know, if it's true that when they touch, like, in this manner, it can go either way, you know, this is such a negative card. You'd think they would be, yeah. you know, since it doesn't have any, many, I shouldn't say any, but me- very hardly any redeeming qualities that it would be clearly um depicted in the other fashion. But, hmm. I don't think the Five of Wands has an averse pentagram, but all the others do. In Thoth, I mean. All the fives, you mean? Yeah. Oh, here we go. Yeah, no, no averse pentagram, because, mm, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, but all the others are, do have it. Yeah. Matter over spirit. And I uh, wonder if that same thing is true of wands, like if they cross versus not cross versus touch. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm. worth one about. of these days, I'll sort them all out and see what I think. <laughs> you know, sort them into spreadsheet that puppy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, let's talk about the Raven and the Dove. Your card, yeah. which is, you know, that Raven and the Dove has really sunk into my interpretation of this card. It's fascinating. So yeah, the Raven. I associate all the large birds with Aquarius. I mean, you could also. You could put the raven in with Saturn, but mm-hmm. Saturn is one of the rulers of the sign of Aquarius. It like, makes sense. They, you know, they're on, they soar on the air. They have the widest perspective possible. Yeah. Possible, yep. You the, know? They usually have keen sight and, you know. Right, so. right. So if like, if Pisces associated with the vastness of the sea, then Aquarius is associated with, with the, the vastness, vastness of, of the air. air yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, you know, there'd be the, the raptors, the eagles, the hawks. The, mm-hmm. They can be very Aquarian, although... 
there's arguably other also other attributions that they go with, but one of them mm-hmm. can be Aquarius. So anyway, the raven is the um here it's kind of an Aquarian thing where the dove is obviously a Venusian thing. The dove has always been associated with with Venus. So here the, you know, I kind of say, look at it and see war and peace, you know, the, mm. the, the raptor and the dove. Um, you or know, the dove. dove's been a symbol of peace for forever. <laughs> right. And the dove was holding a rose, which is which now has being been exploded. Torn as- <laughs> yeah. Torn asunder and dispersed, as they say. Did you do a number of the petals? No, no. Mm-hmm. Just what looked good. Yeah. I just kind of exploded that puppy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Like, there's actually the story of the raven and the dove in Noah's Ark. So Yes. So the raven goes out first, yeah, but they, doesn't come first, back. First they release the raven. And, uh, and the raven's like, raven, screw this. Raven's like, I'm out of this ark. It is hot in here. It's stinky. I'm out of here. And so they try with the dove, and the dove comes back and you know mm-hmm. helps them out there. Yeah. The raven was too smart for that. The dove's been attacked. The dove um, built its nest. It thought it was secure, four swords, but it built its nest out of the four broken swords. The swords were broken in the truce time, you know, in the four mm-hmm. of swords. Mm-hmm. Those swords were broken, melted down, whatever, but thought it was all secure, built its nest, um, and uh, sadly, it wasn't secure because then you get that big, vicious-looking fifth sword yeah. uh, coming in and uh, busting things apart. And that is a sword of Gibura, yeah. if ever there was. Yeah. It's bright red for Mars. Bright red and really evil-looking, <laughs> pointy everywhere. <laughs> it looks like something that you'd really want to be carrying in a Renaissance fair. <laughs> or, or, or something. But those other four swords are... Um, yeah, those are more the traditional swords. The traditional the Ace of Swords yeah, the, swords. The, the Magus swords. There, With the but, lunar but handle. They're, but they're broken in half. Right. Oh, I see. Yeah, they're incomplete. And then you've got the square, you've got the triangle, and you've got the cosmic egg. Yeah. So in this case, you know, the egg, obviously it goes in the nest of the dove, but the egg is like something you want that you value that you should be protecting. And in this case, through the weakness, the nest was exposed to this treachery. What about the um, so the four rep the square represents the stability that that was the, broken that, that was, was in broken. the card before the the stability of the four of swords the mm-hmm. truce and the three you mean the triangle oh, so yeah the triangle yeah. yeah that's the for the empress you know the right the, the downer green and triangle pink. green and yeah. pink in her colors you know the Venusian feminine symbol as we mentioned you know. Unfortunately for me, this is the decan of my ascending sign or rising sign. Mm-hmm. And, and we've mentioned that both you and I have moon in Aquarius, mm-hmm. although my moon is in the second decan mm-hmm. and yours is in the, the third, third decan. But what I kind of did in this card is put a little kind of my own kind of signature on it. And I, and I mentioned oh. this in the book because my ascending degree, the Sabian symbol for that degree says, yeah, a child is born of an eggshell. Oh yeah, the babe in the egg of blue. <laughs> so, yep. So there's so there's the egg in here, mm-hmm. and the the Sabian degree for my moon sign, even though it's not in this decan, it's in Aquarius, is a, a dove bearing a message, a white dove bearing a message. Oh. And so, in this Neat. card, I put the dove and the egg. Just yeah. Because that's really cool. Because I could. <laughs> because you could. Because exactly. it's your damn deck, and you can do what you want. <laughs> right. Wow. So that's like my own little like 
personal thing on it, even though it doesn't, you know, it, it obviously fits with the meaning of the card. Yeah. But because, but because my yeah. rising was here, I wanted to add that little personal uh, twist to it. Now, the purple on the square, that's both from the Jupiterian yeah, the colors. For, so the colors of the yeah. card, uh, the, the, the main color is bright scarlet. Mm-hmm. And you see that in the, uh, the, the big nasty sword. Mm-hmm. And then the other colors are the colors of the Empress. So, uh, emerald greens and, uh, sky blues and spring greens and rose rayed pale green. And mm-hmm. so you do see the greens and blues and, um, the rose rayed pale green in that triangle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the carrot, the colors of the star are violet, sky blue. Again, sky blue. Mm-hmm. It's in both. That's why there's so much sky blue in here. It's in both the empress and the star. Mm. Sky blue, bluish mauve, and white, faintly tinged purple. And that's the egg. If you look at gotcha. the, the color of the yeah. egg, it's that white tinged purple. And the dove actually is white tinged purple. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right. Neat. Plus, there's sort of a um, uh, the four, the square is you know correlates with four correlates with Jupiter in some sense. Yeah, the four of and swords it's and it's purple, yeah. so that kind of fits yeah. too. Yeah. Mm. Cool. And maybe you know you can the darkness of the Raven might be you know you could think of that as harking back to Bina. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. One could. Oh, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting is another thing that inspired this card was that tradition of the uh, Pope. I think it was Pope John Paul Uh II. He started this tradition of releasing doves, um, you know, to promote world peace. Yeah. And they had to stop the tradition because uh, ravens and gulls Immediate, the second the little the little children would release yeah. the doves, little the second the little children would release the doves, the the ravens and the um, <laughs> crows and and gulls immediately attacked and dismembered and ripped oh, apart God. the doves in front of all the children oh, and, spe- and 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 making all these um, people come out with end time speculations because oh. this you know horrible <laughs> right. thing happened when he released the peace dove so they they right. they nixed that tradition but what i thought was really interesting about that and it directly inspired this but the day that he did that annually until mm-hmm. they stopped it was in this decan it was like january 20th oh, really? or January 20 something. It's That's in that decan. Wow. So, so he did it every year, but then the phenomenon of the ravens yeah, and gulls descending. Well, when it happened, that was like, that, That's that was it. like, we're not doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> it was so what year that was. Yeah. You know? I'm not sure. It was in modern times, but, um, yeah. you know, that tradition, I don't know how long it went on for, but when that happened, I get, you know, they ripped apart the oh, doves, God. like bloody mess in front of everybody and, they were like, all right, uh, well, we won't do this ever again. <laughs> but sure. what I thought was interesting is like, wow, that's right in that decan. It was, you know, it was yeah. uh, around January 20th, I want to say, mm. Mm. was the, the day, maybe it's a day of peace or something. Right, right. Mm. Last yeah. Sunday in January, I think that's that's when it was held. Yeah. 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 So definitely that decan. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely kind of ties in with this whole sort of violation, piracy, mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, flouting of the rules. Yeah. Norms. Right. No Geneva conventions in effect here. Yeah. Here's something that 
I didn't really have a place to put it before, but I think Austin mentions in his Mark of Exile essay that, um, interestingly, the figure of DK is associated in 36 heirs with this, which you would have thought would have been associated in 234 of Swords Libra. But I l- did a little bit of looking into... And wasn't she the sister her. of Justice? Themis. Yeah. yeah. Or the daughter, maybe. Yeah, they're related. Yeah, they're related. <laughs> yeah, which um, Justice is part of this... Right, right, right. um, Theme. Right. And the interesting thing is that Themis is more associated with divine justice. We talked about that with the nemesis stories and stuff in in Libra. But, um, but DK is more associated with the conventional norms of justice. So like human concepts of what's fair. Um, and the story of her is that, uh, she lived among us during the silver and gold ages, but she ultimately decided that you couldn't make men be fair. So she left to live in the sky. Or another version of that is that Zeus put her down here as a mortal to keep peace among men, but then realized that that was fruitless. (laughs) So he took her back up to Olympus. Um, But, you know, that story speaks to me about, you know, going back to the full story of free will and, choices and journeys that in a sense, you know, her story of going back up to Olympus means that in some way we're, we're free from divine intervention, that all our choices are our own, our own responsibility, our own fault. For better or worse. (laughs) For better or for worse. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's the philosophy and the Eden story of the Felix culpa, the happy fall, the idea that, you know, the fact that we had this power to choose and we screwed up is a blessing of a kind because what, who would we be without our freedom right. to choose? Right. You know, so I um, mean, that's a very Aquarian sentiment. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, and sometimes we we create great unpleasantness in the course of doing so. So so, what's your experience of this card of your rising? Well. When it comes up, I always have to remind myself that without taking a more active stance, you could suffer a loss of some sort, that you should be more proactive about protecting that which you care about. Um, you know, Crowley calls it intellect weakened by pacifism it's a sign that you might be being too conflict avoidant, not wanting to recognize the limits in the situation and take charge of what's happening, you know? So you see it as a call to be more combative in a way? Yeah. Mm -hmm. To be more active to protect um, Mm -hmm. rather than just kind of going along. To get along. Hoping. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Hoping that it'll all be okay. You know, it's a sign to me, it's a sign to be, you know, more active. And there's also this question of when and whether to accept limits and accept defeat. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you just might accept defeat because it's easier. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes maybe you do need to accept defeat and let go. But sometimes maybe you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And you also have to decide whether you should accept it or not. You know, I'm thinking about this 
in sort of contrast to the six of wands, which we talked about right at the beginning of the episode, the idea that, you know, there's that guy riding off in victory, but this is the scene he leaves behind, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, and that that is the fodder for the next cycle of resentment and battle and conflict. I think I, I wrote in one of the books something like, you know, to consider the difference between letting go and and passive humiliation and enduring. Yeah, you know? yeah. And when it's time to put your foot down and right. stop that, you know, right. that cycle. I've had that with this card. Even recently, I decided that there was a sort of a situation going on in the household where I felt like it wasn't fair. And I just decided that we were going to change things. And we did. And it was definitely the right thing to do. But it was not pleasant to have to yeah. have that conversation. I've also had this card reliably comes up for resentfulness and unfairness for me in like every possible way. But also like feelings of being a loser. You know, mm -hmm. like, um, I got this card on the day of the inauguration last oh. year. <laughs> I was just Sorry. like, man, yeah. Noise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no, no real <laughs> question about how we feel about that on this podcast. But yeah, and there was just that feeling of being on the losing side and not being happy about it. And just like imagining how that feels when there doesn't seem like there's anything you can do about it. We just watched Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, which is the fifth book in that cycle and the, the movie of it. And that there is a lot of that, the, you know, of being the loser in a political in a struggle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how difficult that feels and how you see your rights being stripped away from you and how viscerally awful that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is definitely a card that one of its meanings can be the conflict was decided against you. Right. You know? <laughs> right. And then just one sort of funny example of how this worked out was, uh, it, I guess this was a couple of years ago, our family went on a camping trip with one of our other family friends. And, uh, you know, we went up to a little camping site in Vermont, it's supposed to be a lovely time, you know, everyone's supposed to relax. And instead, you know, the cabins were like mouse infested and our hosts woke up with bats over top of them and had to go get rabies shots in the middle of the night. And Ew. everybody sort of like woke up feeling awful. <laughs> and it was such a nice idea. It's such a great prospect going forward. And then, you know, it all sort of turned Givora Sour. And I do get this card pretty often because I'm just a very resentful person. <laughs> oh, actually, I do too. I get it. I get my share of that one. Yeah. Oh, poor me. Oh, poor me. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, I guess it's good to know that it's there. Um, I mean, and then you can decide whether you're going to fight or not. Mm. But it's good to know that that, that that thread is running through your day and yeah. Forewarned is forearmed. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Remember not to accept things as they are as being okay. All right. So, um, shall we try to sum it up? Oh, God. Okay. Okay. Let's see. We talked about the Lord of Defeat, uh, and contrasted it with the Six of Wands, Lord of Victory, a little bit. Talked about winners and losers a lot. We talked Talk about Venus and, um, how her opulent energies are not exactly compatible with the Aquarian, more detached um, nature. 
Right. Humanity versus humans. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We talked a lot about Gaborah and the fives and the fives announcing the problem that exists and how to correct it. We talked a little bit about the associated court and the prince or knight of swords, heir of air, his vehemence and recklessness. We talked about the corrective action uh, being the virtue of energy and courage and how, you know, fixing the problems of this card requires some mental strength and resolve of character. Mm-hmm. Questions of will. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we talked a lot about the idea of motion coming to aid the idea of matter. So We talked about the fall of Rome <laughs> yes. and the epicene cults. <laughs> Mutilated heads. Watch the watcher, examine the examiner, and judge the judge. Right. We talked about decay, the uh, the the mortal form of justice as opposed to the divine, and her um, absconding from this world in frustration <laughs> and uh, resignation. We talked about the scourge as the fast corrective action versus the chain as the slow captivity. We talked about the exploding of the rose of 49 petals. We talked about the Aquarian maxim, I know. (laughs) We talked about the rough and well-armed area of Kabbalaville. We talked about the, the concept of piracy and the three figures who go on to become slaves of giants. We talked about the swastikas in this card as a magical act to defeat Nazi Germany. That's so interesting. I would love to know more about that. We talked about the relationship of the story of Aquarius to the five, six, and seven of swords. Um, as the, these are the risks you undertake in this card, uh, in your journey away from the familiar and the relationship to the fool of the, uh, Aquarius cards as the cards of navigation on that journey of finding one's way. And we talked about the melting down of your swords during peacetime might not necessarily be wise. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we talked about birds of prey and the raven and the dove. Spirit under matter. The averse. Over spirit. <laughs> mm-hmm. The averse pentagram. Yep. And the uh, the contrast between the five and the seven on opposite sides of the six, the two forms of imbalance that exist in this sign. And you can also think about the two forms of balance that exist on either side of the five, the four and the six, yeah. the truce that becomes broken and the six that refines its purpose. Good about uh, Pachad as more than just fear, but awe of power. Mm-hmm. Respect for authority. Yeah, there's something in this card about policing and the police state. I don't know. Something. Yeah, and how yeah. unpleasant that can be. The failure of good intentions. All right. Thank you for walking with us through the rough neighborhood of the Five of Swords. The wrong side of the track. <laughs> yep. And uh, and we'll be back with a hopefully a much more pleasant journey with the Six of Swords next time. See you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us, as always, at our online home, www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. But there are also a number of other places you can find me and Mel on the internet. 
All of Mel's books and decks can be found at www.tarotcart.com. So that's your first stop if you want to find anything related to the Rosetta Tarot or the Tabula Mundi Tarot. That's also where you'll find the adorable new pocket-sized decks as well as signed and matted prints of her artwork. As for me, my book, Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, is coming out from Llewellyn and is available for pre-order online at Amazon Book Depository and more. I also have a shop on Etsy where I sell the one and only trademarked Arcana case in lavish silks, brocades, and esoteric prints, as well as my Zodiac perfumes. Perfumes for the next month's sun signs are always on sale at the year's lowest price. All of that is at www.etsy.com slash tarotista. And if you'd like your very own Fortune's Wheelhouse t-shirt or tote bag or mug, we have those too. You can find them at our Redbubble shop. The address for that is redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Go on, get yourself something. You know you deserve it. Happy shopping to all you heroes of the astral plane. We so appreciate your support.